I went to Catholic schools all the way through 12th grade. I have very positive memories of the sisters who taught me. Many people complain about their experiences in Catholic schools, but my experience was beautiful. The sisters cared about us academically, but also spiritually and physically. They served breakfast before school for any kid who showed up. They provided free lunches to any kid whose family couldn't afford it. And they collected uniforms from kids who had outgrown them, cleaned and patched the clothing, and gave these uniforms to other children. The sisters did the hard work in the parish, while the priests, to be honest, seemed to be a bit spoiled and lazy. One day I was in class, and as I often did, I was daydreaming. I'm sure that when the sister who was teaching us looked into my eyes, she could see that I was looking through her, focused on something a thousand light years away. It was history class, and we were studying the impact of the Spanish missions on California. There were about 20 or so missions. The sister droned on, and I pleasantly thought about other things. My mind drifted, but then suddenly her voice stopped. Her eyes locked onto mine, and she shouted, Listen to me, Buzzy. My heart pounded in my throat. I sat upright. I pulled my vision from the edges of the cosmos and looked directly back at her. I'll get back to this. I'd like to look at a passage from the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Pentateuch or Torah. In Deuteronomy, the law of Moses is reiterated to a new generation of Israelites, those born in the desert during 40 years of wandering. They're about to enter Canaan, the promised land, which will be called Israel. This is to fulfill one of the three promises made by God as part of the Old Covenant. Progeny, God's blessing, and land to live on. Moses himself will die and will not enter Canaan. The Israelites are encamped in Moab. They're waiting to cross the Jordan River and conquer the land of Canaan. This is Moses' last chance to set his people on the right spiritual path before he releases them to their destiny. He summarizes what has happened to the Israelites since they left Egypt. He overviews the Ten Commandments, and then he tells them how they should live in the promised land, how to live in a way that's consistent with God's blessing. This passage that I want to look at is from the last section, specifically where Moses is telling his people how to interpret prophecy and how to properly seek it out. In the passage, Moses first tells his people that they're not to adopt the pagan, multi-god practices of the people of Canaan. Then he predicts a prophet who will be like him, like Moses. Importantly, Moses is the first in a long series of prophets. And when Jesus comes to Christians, we believe that there will be no more prophets. This is what Moses says to his people. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. 
Historical evidence suggests that the brutal massacre of the Canaanites didn't actually happen and that the story of the bloody conquest of Canaan is in truth a faith story about how God does indeed provide for the people of God by giving them land. There's very little historical evidence, in fact, that Moses himself existed as an actual living historical person, but we don't know. If Moses did live, he probably lived several hundred years before the book of Deuteronomy was written. The story of Moses might be based on oral traditions that were passed down over this long period of time. But either way, this notion of prophets provided by God, people who represent God, who speak for God, and who so powerfully influence the history of Judaism and Christianity, this notion appears as a prophecy attributed to Moses. And as Christians, we see Jesus as, in a sense, the very last prophet. The New Testament is filled with references to the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. This is particularly true with the Gospel of Matthew, which was written largely for Jews who had become followers of Jesus. It was important to the New Testament writers to emphasize the legitimacy of Jesus by portraying him as fulfilling Old Testament prophecies. We see these references in other Gospels, in the letters of Paul, and in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 3, Jesus has been crucified and resurrected. He has spoken to the apostles and ascended into heaven. Now the apostles must carry on his work. They must spread the faith. The apostles are performing miracles and converting people who are, for the most part, Jews. Peter heals a man with some sort of disability. It's a disability that prevents him from being mobile. There's another biblical metaphor going on here. It is the Holy Spirit within them that allows them to perform miracles. The idea is that the power of the Holy Spirit, while it is visualized physically, is actually working spiritually within people to heal them internally, to bring them closer to God. Over and over, we see this sort of metaphor appearing in the Bible. Here is what Peter says to the astonished people who have witnessed this miracle. I've compressed this. Fellow Israelites, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. We see that Peter refers to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jesus, 
all in the same sentence, making it clear that Jesus is not just some regular guy who thinks he's God. Peter uses the Old Testament as a way of legitimizing Jesus. He finishes by deliberately quoting Moses by saying this, For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. People hearing this were Jews, and they were very aware of these words from Deuteronomy. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Now consider the book of Matthew, in particular the scene depicting the transfiguration of Jesus, which occurs just after his eventual crucifixion has been predicted. Jesus is transitioning from preaching in the Galilee to dying in Jerusalem. The word transfiguration refers to a change in the appearance of someone that shows a deep, otherworldly truth being displayed. On a mountain, Jesus appears in magnificent glory to some of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. They are probably on Mount Hermon, although the Bible does not explicitly state this. The disciples suddenly see Jesus' face shining like the sun. Moses and Elijah, two prophets from the Old Testament, appear. The Old Testament is being used heavily here. Then Moses is quoted again, just as he was quoted in Acts. While he was speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. There's a reason to listen to Jesus. He's the only true, do-only good person who has ever lived. That's the essence of Jesus Christ, of the story of the person to whom we are to listen. The Ten Commandments were the core of Israelite and Jewish theology. They tell us to have no other God than God, to have no idols on this earth, to not take God's name in vain, to keep the Sabbath a holy day, to honor our parents, to not murder or commit adultery or steal or lie or covet what another person has. But it was Jesus who came along and focused on the upside of obeying God. Jesus taught us to love and to forgive, to have empathy, to treat all people equally, to always seek peace, and most of all, to feel the joy of walking every day in the kingdom of God. We should indeed listen to Jesus if we want to truly enjoy the gift of faith. So what about this sister who caught me daydreaming in class and suddenly shouted at me to listen to her? I was never good at sports except for running. You should have seen me get near drowned in water polo in high school. I also failed handwriting and art in sixth grade. But I did have an extremely good short-term memory. In my moment of panic, I realized that I knew precisely what she had just said, despite the fact that I certainly had not been listening to her. I blurted it out word for word. 
The California missions were founded in the late 1700s to the early 1800s. They stretched from San Diego to San Francisco. They were established under the order of the Spanish king in 1769. They were dedicated to the education and Christian instruction of Native Americans. The sister froze. Her mouth opened. The class was silent. As soon as I parroted these words, I, of course, forgot them. But I coolly acted like it was no big deal for me to remember this. A dedicated student like me, who's always paying attention, of course retains everything the sister says. But seriously, while it was the best thing for my education to pay attention in class, and while it certainly is the respectful thing to do, there is no human of whom it is more important to listen to than Jesus Christ, who was both a human and God. We're told in both the Old and the New Testaments repeatedly to listen to him. There's a reason for this. People speak to us in two ways, by what they say with their mouths and what they say with their actions. And Jesus spoke very clearly with words and with deeds. He told us about the power of praying. He taught us that people can be good, that we're not condemned to be brutal and selfish, that we're not meant to be mean-spirited and hateful. Jesus told us to love other people no matter what, to be righteous in our lives. Jesus taught us that the kingdom of God begins right here on earth, that it does not exist only when we pass away. Jesus taught us to forgive, to repent, to be regenerated. He told us to be charitable and to value the things of God's world, not the world of people. Jesus told us to find joy in life and in our faith. This is what God declares from a cloud during Jesus' transfiguration. This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all contain this scene. The Gospel of John does not. The title transfiguration stems from the old King James Version, where the Greek word metamorpho is translated as transfiguration. It could equally have been accurate to translate it as transformed or changed. But the authors who created the King James from the original Greek text were influenced by the old Latin translation, the Latin Vulgate, where the word transfiguratus is used. Leading up to the transfiguration of Christ, Jesus divulges that he is indeed the Messiah, and he predicts his death and his resurrection. He also warns us to never be ashamed of having faith, of following him, of listening to him. This is at a time when Jesus knows that after he leaves earth, there will be heavy pressure by society to deny him, for people to disassociate themselves from him. He uses the transfiguration as an opportunity to put a dramatic exclamation point on that lesson that we do indeed need to listen to him no matter what our society says. That's what we face today, that challenge to listen 
no matter what.